It's time for America Outdoors Radio, the show that covers the outdoor scene across the U.S. of A. and the entire continent. Fishing, hunting, conservation, outdoor recreation, and great destinations, we cover it all every week. It's your country, your outdoors. Let's explore it together with your host, John Cruz. Welcome to the show and Happy New Year. I hope 2024 is going to be a great one for you, full of fishing and hunting and outdoors adventures. I don't know if you're the type to make any resolutions, but I'm resolving to be a better bass angler and fish a couple of pro-am tournaments as well as a big bass tournament this spring. And then in the fall, I'll be fishing another tournament too. So four tournaments, who knows? Maybe I'll get lucky and even cash a check. If nothing else, I have no doubt that I'm going to learn to be a better angler. And I do love tournament bass fishing, something we'll be talking about today on the show. This week on the show, we've got some great guests for you. In just a minute, you're going to hear from Hayden Samick writing for Outdoor Life about a controversial trophy buck taken in Ohio recently and the twists and turns this story has taken in recent weeks. We had Sarah Bomar from Bomar Archery on the show a few weeks ago, and she is back to tell us about the African safari she and her husband went on where they not only harvested quite a few animals, but also shared the meat with the locals and helped with anti-poaching efforts. Sarah's going to go ahead and really explain how hunting really does help conservation in Africa through funding anti-poaching methods and keeping wildlife populations stable. You don't want to miss this conversation. After we talk to Sarah, we've got a whale of a tale for you. When we talk to Chip Michaelov, he is a charter captain, owns Outcast Sport Fishing out of Hilton Head, South Carolina. And he was written up recently in Field and Stream about a massive great white shark that he hooked, a 14-foot shark that weighed some 2,000 pounds that was caught and released and also ended up getting some scientific equipment on it to go ahead and track its movements. This is a fascinating story, not just about the the shark fishing that he offers, but also about great white sharks in general and their migratory patterns along the Atlantic seaboard. Following that conversation, we're going to get James Hall on the line. He's the editor of Bassmaster Magazine, and he's going to tell you about a seven-part TV series that's coming to FS1 starting this weekend, every Saturday, that's all about the history of bass and the Bassmaster Classic and the whole circuit, started by Ray Scott back in 1967. It's also going to profile some of the most famous anglers that really got this sport going and turned it into the multi-million dollar industry it is today. You don't want to miss this conversation. We'll end things up with an interesting news item about four kayakers who managed to actually navigate the famed Northwest Passage in kayaks. However, they got into some trouble along the way and we'll tell you what that's all about. Planning a day at the range or plinking targets with your friends or Maybe you're looking to do some small game honey with a rimfire rifle. Either way, they're going to be impressed when you show up with a Henry Golden Boy lever action rifle. This beauty has a brass light finish, a wooden stock and grip, and a blue 20-inch octagon barrel that makes this rifle handle great, and it is accurate too, especially for offhand shooting. Want to up your Golden Boy rifle game? You can order a deluxe engraved edition or one with a personalized inscription. Like every rifle manufactured by Henry Repeating Arms, this has a life 
lifetime guarantee. Find out more about the world-famous Golden Boy Rifle and order a free catalog, too, at HenryUSA.com. That's HenryUSA.com for Henry Repeating Arms, made in America, and a proud sponsor of America Outdoors Radio. Next up on America Outdoors Radio, we got Hayden Samick on the line. He is writing a, a very interesting series of articles for Outdoor Life that you can check out at OutdoorLife.com. The subject is that huge buck that was taken in Ohio called the C.J. Alexander buck by a hunter using a crossbow earlier this hunting season. Well, there's some twists and turns to this whole story. Hayden, welcome to the show. Hey, John. Thanks for having me, man. So why don't we start off with the beginning the hunt itself and in the story that cj alexander told you about bagging this monster whitetail buck that's actually an ohio state record according to at least one of the scoring measurements there so yeah Buckmasters did certify it as an ohio record as far as like you know the story goes it's exactly the kind of story that you want to hear about a buck like this. It's a everyday hunter going out on his sister's property and coming across the buck of like multiple lifetimes. I mean, it's just like the kind of story that you hope for when a buck like this hits the dirt, you know. What's the, the name of the hunter and what's his backstory? So the hunter is C.J. Alexander. You know, I don't know too much about his backstory other than he's a pretty dedicated whitetail hunter from Ohio and yeah I mean you know he's not like a a social media influencer he's not like you know an outdoor like you know media guy he's just he's just a hunter man Buckmaster certified this this trophy as a state record but he decided not to get it measured by Boone and Crockett which is kind Mm -hmm. of the gold standard you might say why is that so the reason that CJ didn't want to get this deer measured by Boone and Crockett was that he was worried that the deer would suffer a common base deduction, which is a an element of the Boone and Crockett system. Not because the deer necessarily deserved to be, you know, subject to that deduction, but because it looks so similar to a pretty infamous buck called the King Buck, mm-hmm. uh, which also had a common base. And because of that common base, the King Buck dropped from the New World record to uh, just 180 inches, I think, 187 inches, something like that. It was really, like, close to the Boone and Crockett minimum. You know, so he, he was concerned that Boone and Crockett would score his deer the same way just to avoid reigniting the King Buck controversy. And if, the, and if Boone and Crockett, you know, rules that that buck is scored similar to the King Buck, you know, not only is it not the Ohio State record, you know, that, that, that does a lot of damage to, I guess, the reputation of the buck in whatever national spotlight CJ was hoping to put it in. Interesting. All right. Well, here's where the twists and turns begin. So the story is, you know, he shoots this deer at last light, goes out the next day, finds it. But for whatever reason, the poses of him with the trophy, well, they're taken at night. They're not taken during the day as you'd expect. And I've mm-hmm. seen some, some online speculation that perhaps he didn't shoot it on his sister's property, but maybe on somebody else's property. And now I understand that the the state of Ohio, Fish and Wildlife officials there, are now investigating this and have actually seized some equipment. What do you know about all this? You know, I, I know the same thing that everybody else knows. Per a press release put out by ODNR, you know, the buck was seized. The hunting equipment was seized. As far as, like, speculations on ex- the exact nature of what had happened, 
I have the same information that everybody else does, and that's like the press release. You know, it doesn't really say why. It just says that, you know, the buck and taking the buck is under investigation. And as far as the nighttime photos go, which like seems to be the main sticking point of, I guess, everybody with this story, the explanation that I got when I was interviewing CJ originally was that his buddy's fiance had a professional camera and she was busy working until nighttime and so that's when the pictures got took yeah i guess i figured that those were just the pictures that he felt like sharing and you know i didn't really push it too much further but that's the explanation that i got for the nighttime photos all right well the bottom line is this cj alexander as a hunter and a citizen of the united states is certainly innocent until proven guilty as a matter of fact no charges have even been filed so we're gonna have to wait for the ohio department of natural resources to give us all more information on this issue and we will see where this story leads and if you want to follow this story i'm sure that you're going to be covering it at outdoorlife.com and so folks just head there and we'll see where the saga takes us thank you so much hey for sharing this with us today on America Outdoors Radio. Thank you. We've been telling you about Sportsman's Cove Lodge in southeast Alaska for a while now, and there's a reason. They are the only Alaska lodge we talk about in this show. It's because they're truly Alaska's best lodge. The adventure starts with a float plane ride from Ketchikan, after which you'll get the chance to experience some of the best hospitality, food, and wonderful people you'll ever meet. Wildlife is abundant, from bears and deer to eagles and whales, and let's not forget the reason you're here, the fishing. Halibut, salmon, lingcod, rockfish, true cod, and more. It's all waiting for you in abundance at Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Book your trip today at alaskasbestlodge.com. That's alaskasbestlodge.com for Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Camp Chef, we've been in pursuit of one thing for 30 years. More flavor. And now we've taken the same bold hardwood flavor you've come to love in our pellets and applied it to our new line of hardwood spices. With three classic flavors, hickory, char cherry, and competition blend, you can now apply that hardwood flavor directly to your meat. Available in coarse or fine ground. I mean, you put crushed up plants on your food so you tell me, is this crazy? Genius. When you think of WorkSharp knife and tool sharpeners, you probably think of sharpeners for the shop or the field, but WorkSharp has a whole lineup of sharpeners for the kitchen, too. We're talking about everything from easy-to-use manual and electric knife sharpeners to ceramic honing rods, whetstones, and the new rolling knife sharpener, an innovative manual sharpeners that will do wonders for your cutlery. Make sure there's never a dull moment in your kitchen. Check out the entire product line and order today at WorkSharpTools.com. That's WorkSharpTools.com. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nationwide nonprofit organization dedicated to providing hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under who suffer from life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. These adventures make big differences in the lives of those who participate in them, and in many cases are literally a dream come true that brings hope and therapy to their lives. Find out more, get involved, or donate today at huntofalifetime.org. That's huntofalifetime.org. Huntofalifetime.org.
You're back in with America Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. As you may recall, we had Sarah Bomar on the line, and she was telling you about Bomar Archery and about the Bomar Bow Hunting YouTube channel. And she mentioned that she and her husband Josh went to Africa and came back with 40 different animals. I should say they harvested 40 different animals. Sarah, I want to find out more about this. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. I could talk for hours on Africa, so make sure you reel me in on something. (laughs) Well, we'll start off with the basics. What part of Africa did you go to? So this was our fifth trip to Africa, and this trip we spent almost a month in Tanzania and then almost two weeks in Uganda. I have never heard of Uganda as a spot to go to for hunting in Africa. You hear about Tanzania and and several other countries, but I've never heard of Uganda. What were you hunting there? So it's actually funny you say that because they just opened hunting up in Uganda about five years ago, and then pandemic hit, and a lot of people obviously weren't traveling. So it really is just a bow hunter's paradise with the amount of game that's there. But for the most part, while we were there, we were hunting warthog, impala, massive impala. There were a few spots where there were cob. I mean, just the amount of just unique species in Uganda was absolutely incredible. A lot of folks turn their nose up when it comes to trophy hunts in Africa. They think it's for the entitled. They think it's for the rich. They think it's cruel. But there's a whole lot of pieces that people don't understand when it comes to economics and conservation, isn't there? No, absolutely. And we talk about it all the time. Where there is no hunting, there are no animals because there is no funding for conservation. There's no funding for anti-poaching efforts. The government helps a little bit, but for the most part, people aren't being taxed. People aren't being paid to support anti-poaching efforts. And so the vast majority of that funding is coming from hunters. And every outfitter that we personally have been to and every outfitter that we personally have hunted with, they have their own anti-poaching teams solely based on the hunters that come in and the funds that they provide. So it's great because we obviously get to harvest mature animals and we're able to donate meals. We obviously eat what we can while we're there, but we can't eat everything. And so it's really just beneficial across the board. It provides jobs, it provides anti-poaching funds, it provides meals for locals, and it promotes conservation because hunters are taking mature animals. And so the government regulates tags. They regulate how many animals can be taken in that specific area. And it just helps the population as a whole. And so, yeah, you're right. There is a very negative connotation when it comes to hunting in Africa because people think, oh, Cecil the lion. They think rhinos. They think elephants. When in reality, that's only a small, small, small percentage of hunting Africa. The the majority of hunting is plains games. It's, you know, it's these other animals that a lot of people don't even know exist, to be completely honest. I mean, we took both of our kids to Africa with us, and we took our nanny, and she was just floored with the amount of animals. She's like, I've never even seen these. I've never heard of them. And so it's really it's really neat because, you know, I was telling you on, on our YouTube channel, we have probably my favorite YouTube video that we have is Josh's Leopard from 2021, our second to last trip to Tanzania, because it, just, it does such an incredible job explaining conservation of big cats. It explains, hey, the funds that were raised from hunting this leopard, they go to protecting all the animals that are here. And so, yes, a lot of people do hunt big game, but those funds protect the impala, the zebra, the warthogs, the, you know, everything that's that's a plains game in Africa benefits from those larger animals being taken. So it's really a beautiful symbiotic 
relationship. And I really do encourage everyone. That video is called Hannibal, The Hunt for Hannibal. And the amount of non-hunters that have messaged me on social media that have said, thank you so much for putting this video out there because now I actually understand conservation, not only in Africa, but everywhere. That's fantastic. As a matter of fact, you were helping with anti-poaching efforts yourself. You and your family helped remove 30 snares. What were these snares going to catch? Yeah, so in Uganda, in that specific area, I mean, it's, it's a big area, but still, they find 15 to 30 snares a day, every single day, just locals trying to poach animals for meat. And while it is, it's a very sad thing that, that it's come to that in that area, but what people don't understand is that hunters are giving back. Hunters are giving meat to locals. And so if animals are snared, if animals are not properly managed, then the population is going to not exist in a very short amount of time. So that's also where hunters contribute because it's like, hey, let us pay money to hunt and then we'll eat a little bit of the meat and then we'll give the rest back to the locals in that area. So it's a really, it's a really beautiful process when it works, but these anti-poaching teams really take their jobs extremely serious because if animals are decimated in that area, then tens of people are out of a job from that specific outfitter. So it's very imperative that animals are protected and animal the population is protected. That way hunters can keep coming back to hunt these animals, but also for the animals to flourish in that area. What's the process for sharing the meat from these harvested animals with the locals? I mean, I'm guessing it's not like that there's just a soup kitchen and you go down there and drop it off. Is there coordination with like the village chiefs? Yeah, it depends on the area. So in Uganda specifically, we had the skinners that we had in camp with us were locals from the local village. So they would, we would say, hey, we're going, okay, we shoot this eland. They're, they're the largest antelope. We're obviously only going to be able to eat like a dozen pounds of meat from this animal in seven days. So the skinners would go back to their local village and tell people, hey, the, the hunters got this eland. Come bring your bags. Come take as much as you want. And so the locals would just come into camp and it was really cool to see because they would come with their little, you know, satchels and almost like, you know, bags of just a cloth that they made and they came into camp and took took some of the meat and because they don't have refrigeration, it's not like they were greedy. They didn't overtake what they didn't need. But some would come, you know, every day and just come pick up meat from our zebra, our eland, you know, whatever we were getting. And so that was really just neat to see because they were just so appreciative and so grateful for the meat that they were getting. But then in other places like Tanzania, we'd do a big meat drop where we would where we would go to a village itself, take, you know, some hindquarters to this particular village, go to another one, take different hindquarters. And so it's just really neat to see how appreciative everyone is and how respectful everyone is, especially of their village chief, because they they were dictating, you know, the sorting of the meat and making sure that everyone got some. There weren't favorites being played. It was just really neat to see how all of that worked. Well, Sarah, you've definitely put a different face on hunting in Africa that I think a lot of our listeners and a lot of folks, period, are just not aware of. So thank you for doing that. And folks, if you want to check out the adventures of Sarah and Josh, just go to their YouTube channel at Bomar Bowhunting. That's B-O-W-M-A-R. Bomar Bowhunting. Again, there's 1.45 million subscribers. You can become one as well. And check out the hunts that are going to be dropping for this latest hunt in Africa, along with the other 392 videos they have available right now. Sarah, thanks so much for sharing this with us on America Outdoors Radio. Thank you.
Hunt of a Lifetime is a nationwide nonprofit organization dedicated to providing hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under who suffer from life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. These adventures make big differences in the lives of those who participate in them, and in many cases are literally a dream come true that brings hope and therapy to their lives. Find out more, get involved, or donate today at huntofalifetime.org. That's huntofalifetime.org. huntofalifetime.org. Immerse yourself in a complete Alaska wilderness experience through Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Up to six of you will spend a week in a beautiful waterfront log home in a secluded cove. Every day is a new adventure. Go on a guided fishing trip or haul in a bounty of shrimp and crab. Visit a Native American village where totem poles are carved. Go on a whale or bear watching trip and return back to your very own place at the end of the day. Find out more about the Alaska wilderness experience at alaskasbestlodge.com. That's alaskasbestlodge.com. Are you looking to reel in the marketing opportunity of a lifetime? America Outdoors Radio has sponsorships available, and we offer affordable platforms to reach thousands of listeners. Find out more by contacting John Cruz through his website at AmericaOutdoorsRadio.com. You're back in with America Outdoors Radio. We've got one heck of an interview to start off this new year. We've got Chip Michaelove on the line. He is the owner of Outcast Sport Fishing out of Hilton Head, South Carolina. He'll take you fishing for all sorts of fish, cobia, king mackerel. But in the winter, he will take you fishing for great white sharks. And there's a really interesting story about a really big one that he caught in December that you can read at fieldandstream.com. Captain Chip, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So let's talk a little bit about great white sharks. I think anybody who ever saw Jaws is fascinated with great white sharks and probably a little scared of them, too. When did you start fishing for them out of South Carolina? Probably about 12 years ago, I really started putting some effort into trying to figure them out. And I really just wanted to be the first person to ever catch one down here. And so I just kept going and trying different areas, different methods, and studying where there's been one seen in Florida or Georgia or North Carolina and trying to put a little bit of a puzzle together. And, and then about 10 years ago, I finally saw my first one off Hilton Head. And I tell you, it was, it was probably the craziest day of my life. I mean, I was like... I said probably every cuss word possible, and then thank God, and it was just, and I was by myself. It was, uh, it was absolutely amazing. Wow. So, great white sharks, they're migratory to a certain degree, I understand. Uh, in the summers, they're found up north towards Cape Cod, but in December, they start showing up in your neck of the woods off the coast of South Carolina. And where are they heading? Are they heading down towards Florida? Yeah, what they do is they, they love the New England area. They love the seals up there. There's a lot more whales, bluefin, tuna. There's a lot more action up there for them to, to chase and get into. And then once that water temperature starts breaking, usually end of October, November, they'll start the migration south. And so they come right through here, and then they winter anywhere between, I would say, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. It's, it's really scattered. So they're in a zone that probably is about 600 miles long that they just kind of comb back and forth in the, in the colder months. And, and so their diet changes once they come down here. But December, I really start targeting. There's a few in here around this area in November, but just not that many. I like shooting for December. And then they're here all the way till about mid-April. 
So when you go out on a charter boat trip, specifically for great whites, what's considered a good day? Is it like, you know, a muskie or a steelhead where if you get one strike, you've done well? Or could you put a couple yeah. of fish along the side of the boat? I'm fishing for one. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. I tell everybody it's the most boring day of your life until one shows up. And then it's the craziest day of your life because it's just... It's mind-blowing seeing something like that swim around the boat. And it's, uh, you know, and a lot of times they don't take the bait. A lot of times these larger ones that are a lot more intelligent will come up and they'll just kind of walk around the boat for a bit and then they notice something's not right and they swim away. And sometimes they'll come back an hour later and sometimes they don't come back at all. But uh, we've got a pretty good hookup ratio on them. They vary anywhere between 7 foot and 16 foot. You just never know. But I'm typically just fishing for one a day. There was one day about four years ago where we hooked seven in one day. And that was by far the most I've ever seen. And But usually if we get one a day success, two a day, awesome, incredible, three a day, extremely rare. So yeah, I'm just shooting for one day primarily. So what do you use for bait? Are you using fish? Are you using troublesome customers who you don't want on the boat anymore? Yeah, usually children, you know, small kids that talk a lot and carry on. That's pretty much it. <laughs> you know, I use a, a variety of things. I mean, you know, fresh is good. I, you know, I try to bug all my buddies that go offshore and catch a lot of stuff. I use a lot of carcasses that they, they have, a lot of, you know, things that I find at the, clean, you know, cutting table. But really, you know, when I first started, I thought it was going to be like one particular thing, but it's not. I mean, it's really just chumming your tail off and being in the right spot when they're coming through. I think location, time of year, clarity, there's a lot of things that are important over uh, over the bait. But, yeah, I mean, they are very particular. I mean, if something, if the bait is not right or if it's rotted, they usually end up passing on it. Fascinating. Well, let's talk about this massive 14-foot great white that you caught December 8th, estimated 2,800 pounds. Tell us this tale. It's, it's awesome because... Usually about once a year we'll get one that's enormous, but typically the first few of the year are small. Usually I get seven, eight, nine footers for the first few. And we started the first trip out of the out of the gate was on that day, and I had a couple of pastors from Texas on the boat. You know that never hurts having you know having having them always increases the odds. And just a great group of guys. And the first one that showed up, I believe it was about twelve thirty. 12, 12.30, and she came up and took the bait right behind the boat. And I just, I was really surprised because I haven't seen them that large until after Christmas. Usually prior to Christmas, they're a little on the small side. This one was a big one. This is the biggest one I've caught in, um, in about three years. And she took it and just barreled out of there like a train, smoked the reel so hard that the reel was so hot you couldn't even touch it. I'm, I've never had my reel heat up like that. We had a lot, a lot of drag on her. And she whipped out 300 yards and then kind of sat there a minute shaking her head before she made another run. So we started our chase. And I tell you, I don't think you can jump out of an airplane and get the same adrenaline rush as you as you can when you're connected to the baddest fish on the ocean. It's incredible. I mean, it's just my hardest pound. I've seen a hundred of these things, and it's still every time I catch one or hook one, we're just ecstatic. I mean, my customers were going nuts. It was just uh, it was amazing. It was a perfect fight. We got her up next to the boat, and once and you know, you know it's just like with any fish once you break their will you can really work on them do whatever you want and i teamed up with the atlantic white shark conservancy and dr scomo out of massachusetts and so i've been satellite tagging these things for for years now and helping them out and i'm also curious on where they go so once we got her to the side of the boat we ended up putting four tags on her and got some good pictures and video and popped the hook and sent her on her way 
Tell you what, that is one heck of a story. And I guess we should talk a little bit about the great white shark and how they're doing. Now, I remember after Jaws, a lot of people were catching them and killing them, along with all sorts of other shark species. And sharks in general went to decline. How's the great white shark doing now? And how are organizations like the Atlantic White Shark Conservancy helping them out? They're doing really well. I mean, they're, they bounce back. There's some, about 80% of them were, were wiped out back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Just Jaws, you know, I love Jaws, but it did do a lot of damage as far as people want to go out and kill them for the, for the Jaws. And so there was a lot of them were, uh, were dragged in and they, they protected them. They protected the seals, which is what they love to target. It's kind of like protecting mice in a field. If you protect the mice, then you're going to get a, a ton of, you know, snakes and then with snakes you get a lot of a lot of hawks and that's kind of what what's happened with protecting the seals and and these, uh, and then once you protect the whites they're really booming so you know some shark numbers are on the decline but white sharks are are booming they're they're doing really well they've made a huge comeback and it's wild i mean numbers are definitely going up and their migration is changing as well i'm always talking to the atlantic white shark conservancy and it seems like the majority of the sharks I'm tagging are passing Cape Cod and going to Canada. And they're seeing a ton of them in, in Cape Cod, but they're not seeing a lot of mine. Mine seem to be migrating all the way up there towards uh, Nova Scotia. The numbers, yeah, are definitely um, going up, uh, which is good. You know, I think it's it's awesome. We don't have attacks down here. You know, I know they've had some attacks up in Canada, New England area, but the white sharks don't really cruise the beach in South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida like they do up in Maine and Rhode Island, New York, and Massachusetts. So they're doing well. They're doing really well. Well, the last question is this. If somebody wants to book a fishing trip with you, whether it be for Cobia or King Mackerel or Crate White Shark, how do they do it? You can go to my website. My phone number's on there. I'm all over social media, Outcast Sports Fishing on Instagram and all that. You can always reach out through that. But yeah, those great white trips. There's so much demand. I mean, I don't have anything. I've got plenty of spots open for tigers, bulls, hammerheads, tarpon, redfish, cobia. I've got spots open for those in the summer months, but in the winter. And that's the another thing. In the winter, it's tough to get out because it's so windy every day. So I only can fish for them about once a week. It's typically what, what I average. So it's it's not a daily thing. I can get out there just because the nor'easters that, that come through this area really chew up the sea pretty good. So I only can get out once in a while. But, yeah, it's it, it definitely put me on a different level with the phone calls. So like, I've got a lot more business than I ever imagined. It's been really great. These sharks have changed my life. And one more thing. Share the website with us. The website is outcastfishing.com. The website, my pricing is on there, and there's a lot of information on the, what we do, the boat, and all the fish that we catch and stuff, and what time of year different species move in. And, and you know, I've got a lot of people that come in to shoot for hammerheads. We catch some really, it's all catch and release. I don't kill these things, but sure. all these, uh, we catch some enormous hammers. We get big lemons and bulls and tigers early in the year, and then the hammerheads move in. And gosh, we were in. We did real well. We got a, a hammer this year, a little over a thousand pounds, and then we got a hammer the year before that was a little over a thousand pounds. So we get some enormous hammerheads that come through here in the summer months. So if somebody's not interested in the great whites, they can definitely come in in the summertime and, and battle something enormous. But like I said, it's all catch and release. I that. hear you. All right, that's outcastfishing.com. Chip, thanks for sharing this with us today on America Outdoors Radio. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
We've been telling you about Sportsman's Cove Lodge in southeast Alaska for a while now. They're truly Alaska's best lodge. Wildlife is abundant from bears and deer to eagles and whales. And let's not forget the reason you're here, the fishing. Halibut, salmon, lingcod, rockfish, true cod, and more. It's all waiting for you in abundance at Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Book your trip today at alaskasbestlodge.com. That's alaskasbestlodge.com for Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Come explore the Dalles in Oregon for outdoors fun. Hike amongst the wildflowers, bike our riverfront trail, or visit the Gorge Discovery Center where you can enjoy a live raptor display. Or even check out our National Neon Sign Museum. But don't forget the fishing. We've got salmon, steelhead, bass, walleye, and monster-sized sturgeon waiting just for you. When the day is done, tell those tall tales at one of our wineries, breweries, or restaurants and plan your next adventure. Find out more at explorethedalles.com. I'm Anthony Imperato, president of Henry Repeating Arms. Patriotic Americans are looking to protect and provide for their families, now more than ever. Henry has over 200 rifles and shotguns to choose from, made in America or not made at all, and backed by a lifetime guarantee. Go to HenryUSA.com and order our free catalog, decals, and a list of dealers in your area. That's HenryUSA.com. Thank you, and God bless America. Attention small business owners, this could be the most important 10-minute call you will ever make. You could recover up to $26,000 per employee today. And all you have to do is make one short 10-minute call to take your business up a notch or bounce back from these difficult couple of years. Omega Accounting Solutions can help you recover any payroll tax overpayments you made during the pandemic. You may even be eligible to receive up to $26,000 per employee. All it takes is a quick, easy, free 10-minute ERC consultation to determine if you qualify. Omega is the small business champion with teams dedicated to maximizing tax credits. They know their stuff so well that CPAs and payroll companies even turn to Omega for ERC tax guidance. Call 800-300-9ERC. That's 800-300-9ERC. 1-800-300-9ERC or visit omegataxcredits.com. Next up on America Outdoors Radio, we've got James Hall on the line. He's the editor-in-chief for Bassmaster Magazine, and he wants to tell you about a new seven-part series that's coming to FS1 Saturday, starting this weekend, January 6th, that's all about the origins of bass fishing with Bassmaster. James, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much, John. I uh, appreciate you having me on. So the series is called The Cast, and it starts off with a couple of episodes about Ray Scott and how he got basically bass fishing to the same level as like PGA golf. Tell us a little bit more about Ray and, and his early dreams and how he went about this. Well, yeah, I mean, it's really um, an amazing story and an American success story when it comes down to it, right? Was, uh, he was an insurance salesman and just didn't didn't like it, loved bass fishing. So in the late 1960s, um, he dreamed up the idea of, after watching like a basketball game, when his, when his fishing trip got rained out, he's like, why can't I be watching bass fishing on television? It's just as cool of a sport. And so he just put his mind uh, to it, had a lot of uh, hard work 
work and decided to put together a professional style fishing tournament. And, you know, back, back in those days, you know, there was not a really bass fishing tournaments. There were fishing tournaments, uh, but nothing consistent, and the rules were all over the place. Cheating was normal, and so he thought, well, if I'm going to do this right, um, I need to put in and implement some hard and fast rules, and that's what he did. Uh, we use those same rules still today with some tweaks, of course, but, yeah, he just had this grand idea to create a sport out of his passion. Uh, he did that in 1967 was the first all-american tournament it was a huge success and from there you know an industry that focused just on fishing for bass was kind of born and so um you know from the 60s into the 70s you started seeing these same guys win over and over and they kind of became the very first superstars of bass fishing names like bill dance which a lot of people have heard of and roland martin and jimmy houston hank parker all these guys were uh right alongside Ray Scott as pioneers of this weird thing, you know, back in the day called competitive bass fishing, and it worked. He was uh, not going to let it not work, I guess. His, his insurance salesmanship came into play, uh, and he convinced a lot of people that this was a good idea, and he was right. And uh, it, it has blossomed into the sport that we know and love today. Well, I love the fact that the cast also, during different episodes, highlights some of the different Hall of Famers, for lack of a better word, that we've all known and loved. Bill Dance gets his own episode. And I didn't know that he started off as a furniture salesman from Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah, back in the day, you know, you, you just had guys doing jobs that, that guys did back in those days. And, and they, these certain superstars that became superstars just had an uncanny ability to go out on any lake that they fish and catch bass and do it very, very well. And so, you know, when, like, Bill became really popular in his home region of Tennessee and got some early, early sponsorships, uh, you know, from, like, car dealerships to do very local localized television type stuff and was able to slide over from selling furniture or, you know, Ray from selling insurance to going full-time into this whole bass fishing thing. And so what I really love about the cast is that our team did an amazing job of not just talking about bass fishing, but talking about what was going on in the United States at that time. You know, there were a lot of, you know, Cold War. You had a bunch of race issues. You had, you know, some uh, very hard financial times that the country went through between the late 60s and, you know, 2024 now. So it is not just a, um, a, a story of bass fishing, but it's kind of a, a story of Americana. What was going on in those times, and how did that relate to the sport that was uh, able to grow throughout, you know, that time in history? It's the cast. It's a seven-part series that's airing Saturday mornings on FS1 for the next seven weeks. And you'll want to stick with FS1 after that because the Bassmaster Elite Series will be airing on FS1 after that. Just check your local guide for exact airtime Saturday mornings. It varies a little bit between 8 and 9.30 a.m. Some of the other characters that are featured are... Hank Parker, Roland Martin, Rick Clun, who's still fishing today and giving people a run for their money. And one person I'm not familiar with, Bobby Murray. Tell me about Bobby Murray. Yeah, so Bobby Murray won the first Bassmaster Classic. And then he won again in 1978. He's, he's a guy that was just, you know, the the first true champion of bass fishing, if you will, and then became champion again and won our Super Bowl of bass fishing twice, which is not very many people have done. 
And this is a story. Uh, it's amazing. The storytelling is another part of this this series that is just fat. Whether you like bass fishing or not, you know, because Bobby Murray just one little tidbit about him. He had won the classic. He was fishing Ray Scott's bass tournaments, and on the way home one day, he had a head-on collision that uh, you know towing his boat. I think with the, uh, the station wagon. You know, oh, they, wow. they didn't even all use trucks back in the day. So, and then uh, you know, near-death experiences that of them actually have them and these stories are told throughout the cast but the things that they had to go through the hills they had to climb and Bobby Murray is just is just one of those stories that is inspirational especially nowadays to guys who want you know think that maybe they can't achieve their dreams you know he is one who did and then had a really long really cool career in the in the fishing industry because of it. So, you know, that was, uh, I think that episode is called The First Generation of Superstars. And, yeah, it's one that you certainly don't want to miss. The show, again, is The Cast. It's presented by Bass Pro Shops and Bass, and it's going to be on FS1 Saturday morning starting this weekend. So check it out. Learn all about the origin of professional bass fishing through Bassmaster and how it's become a multi-million dollar industry since Ray Scott started it way back in 1967. James, thank you so much for sharing all this with us today on America Outdoors Radio. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks so much. Do you love to fish? Do you love to eat fish? Well, if you do, you know how important it is to have something to keep things sharp. Now, in the boat, it might be something to keep your hook sharp, like maybe the pocket knife sharpener from WorkSharp, which also works just fine along with the guided field sharpener for keeping fillet knives sharp. So when it comes to cleaning those fish you catch for the day, you can get that done in a hurry. And let's not forget back at the house when you're preparing those fish for a meal. That's when you want to have a kitchen knife sharpener, and there's several electric ones available. You can find them all at WorkSharpTools.com, which lists all sorts of both manual and electric sharpeners you can use in the kitchen, in the shop, or in the field. Sharp hooks and sharp knives make for a happy day on the water, so get your sharpener today at WorkSharpTools.com or look for these products at quality sporting goods stores and hardware stores near you. Our last story of the day is an interesting one. These days, we tend to think of the age of exploration being over here on Earth, but it's not. There are still feats to be accomplished, and one of them is kayaking through the Northwest Passage. Thanks to climate change, boats some years can now make it through the Northwest Passage along the Arctic, something sailors have been trying to do since the 17th century. And this past year... Four kayakers actually succeeded. It was the second attempt for the group known as the Arctic Cowboys, made up of Jeff Wusty, Mark Agnew, West Hansen, and Eileen Visser. The four navigated the Northwest Passage using two double kayaks. However, things started off rough with them. From Explorer's Web, we find out that they had to wait out the ice for a couple of weeks on Bylet Island in northern Canada. They were holed up in a hunter's cabin, and, and when the ice eventually cleared, they set on their way. Unfortunately, a good portion of Bylet Island is a migratory bird sanctuary. You have to have a permit to be there. And they did not have a permit. Not only that, when they did set off, they actually turned off their trackers so that if they did camp on the island along the sanctuary area, presumably people would not know. The sanctuary protects nesting sites of thick-billed mirrors, black-laying kittiwakes, and greater snow geese. 
and the restrictions are in place so that these migratory birds are not disturbed. A month into their expedition, the group of kayakers was actually arrested and interviewed for camping on the island by Parks Canada Law Enforcement and the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. The kayakers were released and allowed them to resume their journey, which they successfully completed. The four are now being charged in Nunavut courts with a variety of crimes to include using public lands in a park against the Canada National Parks Act, possessing a firearm in a park contrary to National Parks wildlife regulations, and disturbing wildlife in a park, among others. While it's unlikely the Arctic Cowboys will be jailed for this, they can face some very hefty fines for these violations. The moral of the story? Congratulations, but if you're going to do this, do it by the rules. That's all we've got for this week, but until next time, here's hoping you plan some adventures for 2024 and that they take you into the great outdoors, whether you are kayaking or fishing or hunting or hiking or camping or otherwise exploring. After all, it is your country and your outdoors, so get out there and explore it. <laughs>